There's crispy, and then there's crispy, er. Try our new and improved Tyson crispy chicken strips. Crispy just got crispy, er. You're listening to HBCU 468, the Roden Fellows Podcast. I'm Randall Williams, and I'm coming to you from Hampton University in Hampton, Virginia. On the line are my co-hosts, Nate Easington from Howard University in Washington, D.C., and Bill Roden in New York City. How are you guys? I'm thank you. How are you? It's all good. How's everybody doing? I'm doing great, man. Shout out to those Hampton Pirates for giving that shellacking to those, uh, those Howard Bison. <laughs> it's just something that we do. But, um... You know, I know you guys have heard about this. Uh, the Antonio Brown saga has once again taken a turn. Last week, the Patriots stunned us all by announcing that they've released a one superstar receiver. This comes in light of Brown allegedly sending a threatening text to his accuser. It's been a crazy summer and an even crazier fall for Antonio Brown. AB has made a lot of his supporters and fans look like fools. And I, I know this is an impossible question, but what do you guys think is next for him? <laughs> Well, I think at this point he needs to take a, a page out of his former teammate Le'Veon Bell's book and, and just take the breaks for the year. I mean, nobody's going to sit back and say after the year if he keeps up his training that he's like not the same receiver or something crazy has happened. I mean, we've seen Le'Veon Bell seems to have picked up right where he's left off uh, up in New York with the Jets. So I think at this point, I mean, he's been on three teams in, what, six months? So he needs to really just pump the brakes on everything. I think he steps away from the NFL a bit and gets a lot of these loose ends tied up and, and figure out really what's going on outside of football. And I think after after about a year's time, he can come back with a team that's uh, okay to have him, that's vetted him properly, and really just focus on, on being one of the greatest receivers in, in the league. Yeah, there may not be a next act. His next act may be in Canada. This, you know, I think he's created so much ill will. You know, even among, you know, he started off by calling uh, Ryan Clark and Uncle Tom because Ryan criticized him. He clowned his way out of Pittsburgh. Uh, then he clowned his way out of Oakland and everything from throwing a couch out to, out the balcony. You know, just, I, I just think that he's, he's, he may have clowned himself out the NFL. Yeah, I'm with you, Bill. The more that I think about this, the more that I think that this can't possibly end well. I don't see any anything not this year, not next year. I just, I mean, you know, you, the NFL gives, you know, redemption and second chances, but this saga has just been unlike anything uh, we've ever seen. You know, I've compared him to T.O., but this is far gone beyond T.O. Oh, this is way, um, way this beyond is, It's just utterly it's ridiculous. Um, and I don't, I don't know, as, as a team – you know, do you do you sign Antonio Brown? Because you, at this point, you know, with the helmet thing, with the feet thing, it was just like, uh, once he gets right, then he'll be okay. But now it's just like, you really don't know what you're getting into when you sign him. He is the ultimate wild card in all of sports. You don't know, you know, he could be in legal trouble one day, and next day his fingernail could be peeled back too far. Nobody knows what's next for Antonio Brown. Yeah, so get ready, CFL. Canada awaits you. Yeah, but you can join Johnny Manziel and they'll be a dynamic duo. <laughs> anyway, we have wonderful topics to discuss on this gorgeous afternoon. 
We'll start by talking with WNBA writer Michelle Vopel to see her thoughts on the league, its viewership, and how it can be improved. In the back half of the show, we'll share our thoughts on the Boondocks making a return to HBO Max, as well as our excitement or lack of excitement for the latest Apple products. Well, without further ado, let's jump right in. With the reigning champion Seattle Storm out of the playoffs, four teams are left competing for the WNBA Finals. We're recording on Friday before the semifinals, and the Connecticut Suns and Washington Mystics are up 2-0 and are looking to close out their series on Sunday. Here to help us get a better look inside the league is WNBA writer Michelle Vopel. We'll talk to her about her career, the WNBA playoffs, and the overall state of the WNBA. Vopel graduated from the University of Missouri and has covered women's college and professional basketball for 28 years. She's been to the women's Final Four 27 times and covered the WNBA since its inception in 1997. Additionally, she's covered summer and winter Olympic Games, as well as two women's World Cups. Welcome to the show, Michelle. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, really excited to have you here. Uh, Can you give us a little background on how you got started in journalism and how you got to be where you're at right now? I think a lot of it for with like a lot of sports writers comes from just a lifelong love of sports. I honestly don't remember not loving sports. And um, I remember my, my father, I overheard him telling my mom, wow, this kid knows more about baseball than I do. <laughs> and I was like six at the time. And, and, um, and that kind of made me proud. You know, there was a, that was a huge link between me and my dad. He was a, lifelong St. Louis Cardinals fan, and he passed that on to me. So I think then when it came time to find a career, I was lucky enough to be from Missouri and I wanted to go to Mizzou just because it was, you know, it was it was two hours away from my house, and uh, they have a great journalism school. So in some ways, it was a natural love of sports, and then just, uh, you know, it was, a, it was a good place for me to be in terms of getting a chance to go to uh, a, a good journalism school. Hey, hey, Michelle, this is Bill. Uh, Bill Roden, uh, you, you told us you had you have the game on mute, the Cubs St. Louis game on mute. <laughs> Why? <are> you? <laughs> <laughs> right. So you're still yeah, so they, you, you they, still they, love they, the Cardinals. Oh yeah, I, I have to admit it would be hard for me to cover baseball because that's the one sport that I don't really have much objectivity in. Uh, it's it's just a, a huge love, and I do have to say, Bill, you are one of my journalism. Uh, people that I've looked up to for a long time, just read you for years and admire it. So, you know, it's so amazing the the job you've done putting sports and life into perspective at times. And I, it's, it's actually a thrill for me to get a chance to talk to you and and tell you that, because I think you're one of the best writers I've ever read. Um, but yes, I am. I would admit I am still a fan when it comes to baseball. Yeah. Well, uh, thanks for that, Michelle. You know, one of the things I tell the, uh, the the students who are on the phone, these are Roden fellows, and this is our third class. But one of the things I admire, and I'm just hearing when they when they're talking about your bio, you know, 28 years—that's a long time. I mean, it's a long time to to be in the industry, to stay in the industry, but still be enthusiastic in the industry. And and for you, particularly of being a pioneer, covering the WNBA from its inception. Well, I heard that. I was just curious to find out. I mean, you've seen so much. You've seen so much progress. What, what, just what's your, your perception of the NBA, the WNBA from the time it started to now? Yeah, what's your, your analysis of it, of the, of the arc of progress? You know, there's that old saying that I think it's um, 90% of life is showing up. Hmm. I sometimes feel like with the WNBA, with all the things that it's, that it's had to face in terms of 
the, the, the difficulties of a women's professional team sports league establishing itself. I always said they keep showing up every year. You know, uh, I remember from the very beginning, people would say, oh, they're not going to last a year. They're not going to last five years. They're not going to last ten years. And, and now everybody who's in the WNBA, you know, is they grew up with it. So it wasn't like for, for people my age who, you know, I was 32 when it started, so I didn't have that when I was a kid. Um, it's still, there's still challenges, and I think that's the, that's the case for, you know, any startup business. It's going to be a long-term build. But I think it continues to develop new fans. More people, I, I believe, now cover it and are interested in it, and probably the thing that I, I feel the most positive about is the, the young women who are in it and how just intelligent, how worldly, how socially conscious they are, along with being great athletes. I think that's, that's a big thing with, that you can tell your kids, hey, these are athletes you can admire. Now, that doesn't mean that the WNBA never has issues. I mean, it's, it's life, and there, there, there are issues at times. But for the most part, these are athletes that really get it. They really understand what being a role model is, and they're not, they don't back away from that. They embrace it. Hey, Ms. Robo, it's Nathan Easington here. Uh, talking about role models, um, you just uh, once said that the 1999 Women's World Cup was one of the most exciting events you ever covered. And I was just curious, do you still think that's true with, like, I mean, the last Women's World Cup was really exciting. And, I mean, the, that team, like, was a big role model for a lot of women and young female athletes. So I was just curious is if you still feel that way or now with the most recent one, it's kind of got you uh, sitting on the fence a bit. No, I think for me, in terms of covering that, it was, you know, that was an event that, Initially, they were going to play in much smaller stadiums. The idea was, hey, we don't think that women's soccer could sell out, you know, a football-sized stadium. The idea of women's soccer selling out the Rose Bowl, that can't happen. But the players themselves believed that they could. And the other thing that was interesting about that is there were a lot of bigger names, frankly, in the media who didn't cover that World Cup or who weren't covering it until maybe the very, very end. It was more the people who cover women's sports who were doing it. And then a, a, a few, I think, really big names who stepped in and said, hey, this is worth doing. And watching that develop back in the summer of 99 was an amazing thing to see. And I still feel like that afternoon in the Rose Bowl, you know, which is a, it's a football stadium, right? That's a stadium where men had, male athletes had had glory for decades. And well-deserved, believe me, I love men's sports, but the idea of women getting a chance to be on the Rose Bowl is the biggest thing going on in the sports world. And them playing this amazing game with China on a really hot afternoon with over 100,000 people, I, it, that was just it was incredibly special to me. And I think when you cover women's sports, you, you know what it's like for women to be put down for no reason other than they're women and mm -hmm. to be ignored and for people to say, oh, there's no reason to cover that. And when you have those special moments, you don't take them for granted. I think sometimes if all you cover is the biggest men's sports and you're used to full arenas, it doesn't seem unusual. It seems like this is just what you do. And I, and I think that's never 
going to be the case for me. Uh, mm-hmm. Even today, you know, in any kind of full arena for women's sports, I'm, you know, I don't, I just don't take it for granted. I, I get excited about it still. Michelle, do you find that the young that the young uh, women athletes, and sometimes we have this problem even with young African American athletes, they have no idea of the struggle. <laughs> you know how how it got this way. Do you find there's a larger or better consciousness? Do you more or less do they feel that this they're part of a mission? You know, I think it probably depends on the the person. Some of them are extremely knowledgeable about it and very much aware of, that there was a lot of work done before they came. Others really don't know anything about it at all. And, you know, one thing I always think about with that is part of me wants them to take it for granted, you know, both from the, you know, from the standpoint of, hey, this is something they expect. They expect that they are taken serious athletes. They're, they expect that they have the same sort of, um, you know, accommodations and facilities as as their male counterparts. Part of you wants that. So you don't want them to be sort of burdened right. with this idea that they're less than and they have to fight for it, and yet you want them to know the history. And what you said in terms of with African Americans, I, I guess I think of it the same way. Part of me doesn't want young African Americans to always feel like they they have to be acknowledging the struggle and the burden because mm-hmm. it doesn't seem fair, and yet... It's that dichotomy of, but you, but you also want them to know what people before them did. But I don't get mad at people who don't know the history, but I tell them I think they'd have a richer experience in some ways if they do know the history. Great, great. Um, so I'm, I'm wondering, people were congratulating the New York Liberty on getting number one overall pick, and I don't really know if I've ever heard anyone congratulating a team for that. Is, do you think that's normal? Well... I think it's because they've had um, the Liberty's been a little bit snake bit, and I say that probably if somebody's a Knicks fan, they're like, "Yeah, well, we have decades even more <laughs> of that." Uh, but it, it's been an organization that has come close, although it's been a while. It's been since 2002 that they were in the finals. They've come close, but they haven't been able to, you know, get to that championship level. And in the last few years with the team being sold and actually being in limbo for a year where, you know, MSG wanted to sell them, they were on the, the selling block and they were waiting for a buyer, I, I kind of feel like the, the attitude, even for something like that, that's like they have no control over it in some ways, right? They, they just had two bad seasons and then they hope the ping pong balls go their way. Things have been going so poorly for the Liberty that, the ping pong balls going their way is something that people are congratulating them on. Because I think a lot of people going into that lottery were like, it would just be the Liberty's luck, you know, that they don't get one of the top two picks. So I think that's where that's coming from. Hey, it's uh, Nate again. Um, so currently the NBA averages about 1.3 million viewers uh, per game last season. And while the WNBA viewership is up 31%, it still averages at about half a million, around 400,000. So I was curious, do you ever think um, the WNBA will get to that level? You know, I don't know. And I tend to not make direct comparisons. Um, now, there are, there are really good ways I think you can make an analogies or comparisons to men's professional leagues and a women's professional league. There's some, some things that you look at what they did um, and, you know, that includes, obviously, labor negotiations and, and different things that have happened over the years. And 
the way that teams are marketed, the television deals. And so there's like a, a, a pattern or a path that you could say women in certain ways can follow. They're just as with, you know, the NBA's had different things that it's had to overcome to, to, to reach the level of popularity. In women's sports, you add, you add something in there which is sexism and misogyny because those really exist. There are people who just don't like women's sports. Even now, they just have a problem with it. And I think that you still have to get past some of that negativity. Um, and you guys see it online. I mean, you can't believe any rational adult person would still be making kitchen and sandwich jokes. Mm. I mean, as, like, that's, like, that's funny to anybody. And yet you see it constantly. And it's it's almost like so immature, you can't believe anybody would do it, but they do it. So I look at it from that perspective, that you're having to overcome some long-time prejudices. But I also look at it like, you know, a lot of different sports, you know, are, are maybe would struggle. I mean, even, you know, men's professional soccer in the United States compared to the NBA, because the NBA is fantastic entertainment. So part of me also looks at it like that, is let's give the NBA its due. I, I, I think these are the NBA athletes are the greatest athletes in the world. I think. And so if they're the most popular and the most watched, um, they, they deserve that because of how good they are. And then you just sort of hope that the same people who could appreciate that appreciate what the women are doing. It's, it's a, a little different, but it's still fabulous to watch if you give it a chance. Now, when I think about, like, you know, women's sports versus men's sports, and I know you said you don't really make comparisons, but I just think of the uh... – the Women's World Cup this, for soccer that just passed, um, and that was, you know, tremendously popular. I was uh, interning at Bloomberg, and literally people were were uh, were watching and just celebrating, and everyone was just – it was like a, a moment of unification. Um, so do you think that people actually have a vested interest in the WNBA? I think those things are kind of different because – when you're talking about a World Cup, you're adding in the the element of of a Team USA, and that does tend to bring people together. So people who may maybe don't watch the NWSL at all, the the Women's Pro Soccer League, would get into the World Cup. It's um, you know it's a it's a USA versus the rest of the world sort of thing, which like with the Olympics, people get excited about that. The fact that the it only happens once every four years. You know that I think that's something people get into. So they're really different from that standpoint. The WNBA is, you know, it's every year. It's the, throughout the summer, so it's a different investment than say getting involved in an event once every four years. That said, I do think well, I know this. The the women's national team, you know, our women's national basketball team has won every Olympic gold since 1996, and they're the overwhelming favorites to win again next year in Tokyo. And they, I think, they would like to get more of that attention. You know, that people would be more interested in what they're doing and how great this team is, and get behind it as a USA team. But, but part of the problem is they've been so dominant. You know, I think that's, in some ways, our, our women's soccer team benefited from losing a few times. You know, like, they, didn't, they haven't won every World Cup. So sometimes I think that's it, too, when, the, when there's the thought that there's more suspense and they might not win it, 
that gets people maybe a little bit more interested in it as well. Now, I don't think the USA women's basketball team wants to lose to get more people interested, but I do just think that in some ways people take them for granted. Hey, Nate again. Um, so I'm curious about HBCU players. So only five mm-hmm. have been drafted in the WNBA, and three of the five have actually never played a game. So I was curious, is this surprising to you? And how do you feel about Shaquilla Hill not being drafted despite all of her triple-doubles? One of the issues, obviously, with the WNBA is that the so-called mid-major, smaller conferences don't get a lot of draftees because there are only 12 teams. So it's 12 teams, 12 roster spots, 144 players. It's so hard to get a job and keep a job. And that's the case. You know, let's say if you double that, uh, there's 24 teams, which would still be even obviously less than the NBA. But if you double that, then you would have players from, I think, smaller conferences and mid-major conferences get an opportunity. There would just be more jobs. That's really what it comes down to is there are very few jobs. Most of the people who get drafted aren't going to make a team. You know, if you're drafted in the second, third round, the odds are really against you. And we even have first rounders sometimes who get cut. So that's one of the things I think um, everybody is hoping for at some point is there'll be greater expansion. Now, the WNBA at its biggest was 16 teams. And they expanded pretty quickly at the be- near the beginning of the league, and it didn't work out that well. So it's been at 12 teams for, for a few years now. Will there be an opportunity for it to expand? I think so, but that's something they have to, they really have to be sure um, of, the, of the financial footing of franchises before that happens. And would you like to see a day where, where they'll change the schedule where instead of playing like in the summer, now that they'd switch and start in the fall or, or the winter? It's hard to see that happening in, in my career, and I, I almost think it's hard to see it happening in my lifetime. I'm 54, and I know how long it's been to, to get to where they are now. And I say that for a couple reasons. One is that in the summer, at least, there are fewer things you're competing against and you're not competing against any other basketball. Right. If they move to a fall season, then they're using, in some cases, the same facilities as NBA teams, and then obviously they're, they're the second tenant there. Um, so that's an issue in terms of games, but also the TV airtime. Like, where, where are they going to find a place to wedge in more games when you already have, you know, NBA games, men's college games, women's college games, and the fact that most of the media that cover the, the WNBA, virtually all that same media is who covers women's college basketball. Like, mm. I don't know how I'd do it. You know, I'm, I'm ESPN's WNBA writer, and, it's, and so that would be really difficult for them to have any visibility. So the summer has... The summer is the best option from a visibility standpoint. Obviously, it presents some issues because people don't necessarily think of basketball as a summer sport. So, you know, that's been part of it. There's some conflicts with overseas schedules, especially at the beginning of of the year where some players don't come in until later in training camp because they're playing overseas. But I guess I just don't see it, at least not any time in the foreseeable future. Mm-hmm. And la- last thing for me, who do you like in the finals? Uh, it would kind of be good to have, con- you know, Connecticut because they're right here. Who do you see? 
the way it's looking is that the two best teams uh, from the regular season are going to be in the final. Now, we could be surprised, but they're both off to 2-0 leads, and um, that it just hasn't happened that you know teams have come back from being down 0-2 to win series. So I do think it's going to be Washington and Connecticut, and I think you have to give the, the edge to Washington just because they have been the best team this season and their offense is so good. But I think that could be... That that could be a series that goes five, and I think that could be a, a really fun matchup be, because both teams are, like I said, they're the best two teams in the league. But also, we're guaranteed a first time champion. You know, for for either franchise, it would be the first time that either one of them won. Connecticut is, you know, has made the finals before back in the early two thousands. Weren't able to win last year. The Mystics made the finals for the first time. So one of the two fan bases, if that's our final, they're they're going to be celebrating something they've waited a long time for. Yeah, yeah, that would be great. Hey, Michelle, it's, it's Randall again. Um, I think one of the things that I was thinking about was the the ridiculous wage gap between the NBA and WNBA. So you have uh, WNBA players going overseas to play, like Brianna Stewart, who you know ended up getting injured. So do you think there's anything that WNBA can do to minimize the the wage gap? Well, that's been like the biggest question for the entire history of the league. And I I think you obviously have to remember it is a business, and in the entertainment business you're paid by how many people like want to watch you. You know, if you're a great singer and you can sell out an arena – you get paid more than somebody who's going to play, you know, the local coffee shop. And there's a hard reality, I think, in, in professional um, entertainment, not just sports, but throughout the entertainment world of you're going to be paid, again, based on your audience. That said, I think the thought all along has been is there more that the NBA could do to to spur the growth of the WNBA, which would include doing more to try to keep if not all players, from going overseas, the best players. And that's what's going to be interesting. Actually, there's going to be a lot interesting about the collective bargaining uh, uh, negotiations they're, they're doing right now because the, they opted out of their CBA after last season, and they have to have a new CBA before next year, before 2020. So one of the things that everybody's looking at is, is there going to be ways maybe where the best players, like a Brianna Stewart, are compensated enough, maybe it's not even just for basketball, but for, you know, for other, for public relations and community involvement and things like that, that they would do maybe off-season in a way that would keep them from going overseas. Mm -hmm. That said, I still think a lot of players are going to go overseas because they're able to make a lot of money there, and for some of them, that's that's what they're going to do. But maybe the happy medium for now, while the league is still definitely in growth mode, is the idea of maybe protecting some of your best players and, and having them maybe not have to go overseas. Hey, Michelle. Nathan again. We spoke to students at Howard University and St. Augustine University in Raleigh, North Carolina, on whether they watched that WNBA. The first voice you'll hear is Kamaya Renwick, a senior basketball player at St. Augustine. She spoke to Roden fellow Kevin Parrish. I've been watching the WNBA since I was six. I started because my older sister started playing basketball, and I just kind of followed her footsteps and started taking interest in it. I grew up watching Candace Parker at the time when she played for the L.A. Sparks. I love how she was competitive and could score the ball. Her passion was there, and you could see that throughout the way that she played. The most exciting part of the WNBA playoffs, I would say, is the game. 
I say this because the game be intense and full of competition between each player. It's always good matchups, and especially when an upset happens, and when you think one team was supposed to win and the other team do. Playoffs keep you on your feet because you never know what's going to happen next, and that's what's so exciting because anything can happen. Uh, my name is Papa Ewell. I'm 20 years old, and I'm a communications major. Honestly, I don't really watch the WNBA as a whole. It just doesn't really pique my interest. I'm Kyle Foster. I'm 21, and I'm a junior here at Howard University. I ain't know what's going on right now, but it don't get a lot of publicity, in my opinion. So that's I feel like that's the reason a lot of people don't watch. Males said they didn't really watch because of lack of interest or not enough publicity. So are you optimistic that this will improve? <laughs> it's funny to say, am I optimistic? I would say maybe there'll be gradual improvements over the years. There's a lot of reasons that people maybe don't get into the WNBA. Maybe they have other things they do in the summer, and it's just not something that they have time to squeeze in. Some people really only like above-the-rim basketball, and that's a big deal to them, and they just feel like the, the WNBA isn't for them. And I think that's fine. It's Everybody has different things that they're into. But I also think that there's a, a, a reality there of people judging it before they watch it and not giving it a chance because they have in their minds what they think women's basketball is. Most of the time, if you get people to sit down and watch it or even get them to a game, they're like, oh, wait, I didn't know it was like this. I didn't know it was this much fun. I didn't know they were this good. And so it's about trying to get past some of the prejudices. And I do believe there's some people they'll never get past it. They just won't give it a chance, and I don't even try to convince those people. You know, it's like they've got their mind made up, and that's, that's fine. But you, what you'd hope is there would be more people who would open their minds to it and also open their minds to who these individuals are because a lot of these young women – and Maya Moore is a good example. She's not playing this year because she is devoting herself to um, issues with, with criminal justice. And she's a very interesting person. And that, that people would have some interest in who these young women are as people along with who they are as athletes and find them inspiring from that standpoint as well. Well, this, is, uh, this has been fantastic. And I'm uh, really thankful you had time to talk with us. Uh, but before we let you go, uh, we have some really fun uh, trivia questions for you. Uh, Nate, take it away. So now we know you started off covering college basketball, but are you a bigger fan of college basketball or professional? Oh, goodness. I, I, this is the honest truth. I'm not trying to waffle. It, whenever, whatever season I'm in is right now, you know, when I'm in the WNBA, it's, it completely consumes me. So I, I like both of them. The, there's always that you know, the college spirit and that fan base and everything that's with college sports. But I really enjoy talking to the women of the WNBA because they're, they're grown-ups. They just have a lot of different perspective. A lot of them have been around the world more than I have, and they've seen a lot of things, and they're just they're interesting. You can really have good conversations with them, and I really like that. So um, I know that's, a, that's sort of a waffling answer, but whichever season I'm in, I'm, I, I love both of them. Got you. This one should be a bit easier. Now, you were born in L.A. but raised in St. Louis. So if you have to choose between In-N-Out or Blueberry Hill, where would you eat? I'm, I'm vegan. So <laughs> I've literally um, never eaten in, 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 in or out. So um, I am 
one of the people when they hear I'm from Kansas City, they always ask me about barbecue, and I'm like, I've literally never had Kansas City barbecue. So you have to ask somebody else that because I, I haven't had that. I've been vegan since 1989, <laughs> so it's been a it's been a long time for me. So I'm not I'm not the the best person to ask about food. I guess <laughs> I eat differently than I probably a lot of people. Got you. How about um, the Twilight Zone or American Horror Story? Oh, Twilight, twi- and I, I love AHS, but Twilight Zone, uh, my all-time favorite TV show. I'm with you on that. Gosh. <laughs> and I like the, I like the remake. You know, I, I, I thought the remake was, was nice. It's, it's, I mean, there's been a couple remakes, but the, the most recent one, um, I thought was, is interesting. And so, I, you know, it's, it's hard to capture that feeling of, of the original, obviously, but, uh, but I thought there were some interesting episodes of that. Well, we're going to end the conversation there. Uh, thanks so much again for coming on the show. And if our listeners would like to learn more about your work, uh, how can they follow you? Uh, I'm on Twitter, uh, Michelle V. And um, that's pro- I, I, I have to admit, I am not the most active Instagram person, which probably makes me just an old, out-of-touch person. I, I feel bad about that. But I just Twitter has always been kind of more where I'm, you know, I feel, I guess I'm better with words than pictures or, I, you know, that's just where I kind of gravitate to. So that's usually the, the best way to do it. And then um, just, you know, at ESPN.com, I'm on the women's basketball page and the WNBA page. Great. And I cover some volleyball Great. too. I do, do, do have to throw a shout out to volleyball because I, I, I cover that as well. So that's the, the college page. Um, and that, you know, that obviously really gets into high gear after the WNBA playoffs. They're playing now, but I do a lot of coverage more after the WNBA playoffs are over. We're going to take a short break. When we return, we'll talk about one of our favorite childhood shows making a return very soon. Don't go anywhere. People are celebrating the return of The Boondocks, which will air on HBO Max in 2020. The Boondocks comic strip was created by Aaron Magruder in 1996. His inspiration was from both anime and manga. The strip grew so popular in 2005, it became an animated series that aired on Cartoon Network. I don't know about y'all, but I'm geeked to have Huey and Riley return to the small screen. Are y'all excited about the news? Personally, I'm really excited. I mean, I grew up watching The Boondocks, and I loved a lot of their episodes. Really funny stuff. And, um, I mean, from, from a kid aspect, like, yeah, it was funny and it, it was cartoony and it had all like of the aspects of a really funny, um, cartoon anime show. But like now as an adult, I'm really curious to see interesting aspects that they try to bring up and what now they'll try to highlight being that they've been off the air for almost two decades. So I'm curious to see as to what, what, what they'll bring about with this reboot. Yeah. I mean, I'm a big Aaron Magruder fan. I didn't really watch you know, the TV stuff. So I'm really excited just, you know, to kind of catch up with what I missed. I think it'll be great. I'm really looking forward to it. 
Yeah, Nate, uh, what do you expect from the reboot? I know, you know, we live in a, a new age, uh, so, like, some of the uh, fan-favorite episodes may not be as popular since, simply because, you know, the world is ultra-sensitive now and people are sort of offended by everything. Yeah, I mean, they're definitely going to have to tiptoe around a lot of issues. I mean, that's what I'm kind of worried about because, like, the boondocks back in the day was really funny and just kind of, like, going on things head-on and not necessarily making a joke out of serious things, but, you know, kind of finding the comedic side of issues that are, like, serious in the black community. But I'm worried in 2019 and it'll air in 2020 that, like, it, it just won't be bold enough to go back to the place where it was. It won't be bold enough to talk about some of the issues. Um, but I'm really just, I'm, I'm, I'm interested as to see, like, what issues they'll bring up, what issues they... they Will it all be like just cultural and pop references or will it all also kind of come back to more serious things that have happened in the black community since it uh, got off the air um, in 2005? Do you think because of who's in the White House and the atmosphere that there will be more censorship or do you think that because of who's in the White House and atmosphere where it seems to be just shoot from the hip and say anything that this is the atmosphere to be more bold and more direct? To be honest, I think uh, because of who's in the White House, it'll be more of a cop-out. I think that that's who they're going to focus on at, like, an almost boring amount of uh, amount of time in the show. Like, I, I feel like they'll just zero in on what's happened the past four years. And not that it doesn't deserve a lot of attention, but more so that I feel that there are other things that have happened where... In, in where we can talk about them. And, and on Twitter, there have been lists and things like that trying to see... Um, who or what events that they'll talk about. And one of them was like the Migos and Joe Budden about to beat a Joe Budden in the BET Awards. And I absolutely think Boondocks could do like a fantastic job and do a whole episode on that. I can see easily how Riley and Huey fit into that episode. But I almost, I, I, I think that they should touch on the, the president, but I don't think that they should dive into it as hard as I think um, many people expect them to. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Nate. I think that uh, an episode on the president uh, where they just go full in would be fantastic um, because it, it could just it, there's a lot of possibility there. But it's like you don't want to uh, run the well dry. Uh, so if they if they capture it in one episode where it's just absolutely hilarious, then we can all laugh together. But if it if that one episode, you know, isn't as good as we as we want it to be, and then they keep going back to it, trying to redo it over again, then it becomes an issue where it's like, okay, this has become lazy writing. But I think, I have faith in, uh, in Aaron that, that he'll, he'll get it right. I also think that the fact that it's going to be on HBO is a big deal. Because, I mean, HBO, like, that's where we go to, like, Game of Thrones, and, you know, they're cutting dragons in half. So it's not, HBO is not known for being sensitive. So I think that, uh, that it being rebooted on HBO will be a good thing. And, and allow the Aaron to have a little bit more freedom with what he uh, pursues as a uh, comedic. Do you think the black community will be more sensitive? Uh, uh, yeah, because there's so many themes to explore. Do you think the black community will be overly sensitive? I, I, I really just think it depends on the subject. But there, are, I think that since this is a familiar cartoon, that I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I'm not too worried about the sensitivity of the black community because. You know, we're familiar with the characters, they're, they're beloved, uh, all of that. And when you have that around, that, that familiarity, then you become comfortable with it. And um, I don't think, I, don't, I think Aaron is smart. 
he's gonna he's gonna do things that fit. And uh, you know, uh, Arth- I mean, um, excuse me, three, two, one. Nate touched on uh, on different lists that have popped up on Twitter, but a great example is like there could be a fantastic episode on this Antonio Brown sw- saga that's been going on. Yeah, that would be absolutely hilarious if you put Riley and Huey in a situation where they're talking to Antonio Brown or or something similar to that. So I'm not exactly too worried about about uh, sensitivity within the black community because I think I think Aaron will handle it really well. Yeah, and I think you touching on the fact that they're beloved in the black community is really big, and I and I also feel like the black community will almost give them a, the benefit of the doubt in the first season. So not that it can be like terrible, and we'll still hoot and holler for them. But I mean, it really was like a great show that like it's generationally remembered. So I think that like even through this first season, they'll get they'll get a bit they'll get pushed uh, from the black community regardless. Bill, I'm wondering, are there any stories that you would like to see on the show? That's what I was thinking. I mean, there's so many things. There's, you know, the biracial aspect of our community has just, I think, is fascinating. And it would be, you know, I'd, I'd love to see how they tackle that because it's so fascinating and complex. You know, in two decades, I mean, you mentioned Antonio Brown. I think, all, you know, I think I'd love to see them deal with uh, Kaepernick. I'd love to see how they dealt with that. So I, I like to see how they would weave in even LeBron. You know, I mean, there, there's some... There's some sports underpinnings, undertones that I would love for them to uh, to explore. Uh, what, what about you guys? What would you like to see? I mean, I definitely think I'd like to see a, a, an Obama shout out because he's kind of like, you know, the 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 unsung the the, the, the sung hero of the black community, not even the unsung hero. So I definitely think uh, they could do something great there. That's like something that I think is a little not older in time, but not as prevalent as a lot of things that have happened recently that they can touch on. But I definitely think they can work Obama into a few a few episodes. Even yeah, I think I, I would love to see on the entertainment side. I would love to see Aaron uh, Aaron's take on um, on the Drake and Pusha T beef. It was you know super super controversial. Everyone was covering it, um, and it was fun to watch. Probably not for 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 Drake obviously, but as a listener and as a lover of music, if you love hip-hop, then then that is what you were you were on in 2018, that whole beef. So seeing Riley and Huey interact and you'd be like, oh yeah, you know, Drake has a kid, and then the whole uh, Boondock community just, you know, super shocked and offended and be like, oh, you hid this from me when it's actually his personal business. I feel like that could be really, really hilarious, but also have a, have a great message that, you know, celebrities don't have to share their business with us. Yeah. I'm just curious, what do you guys think? I know this is kind of not on the script, but what do you guys think about Jay-Z and the NFL? Uh, and that, that could definitely be an episode uh, of this. Uh, you that know, could absolutely be an episode. What do, what yeah. do you guys think? And, uh, yeah. Let me ask you this, a better question. If you were writing, how would you, how would you write it? Just brief, how would you, what do you think about it and how would you express what you think about it in that, in, in, a, in that show? I think that I would make it a two-part episode. Um, I don't know if I would have it. I would have. I think he's going to get multiple seasons, um, but you know, you have one episode that addresses the situation where you know he first kneels, and then you you go on to that, and then in the following season, or maybe in if he if there's only one season, then later down the line, then you have Jay Z come onto it, and it's, and you can you can uh, show the divide of of like uh, people like Uncle Ruckus who will who will be in support of Jay Z, and then you have. Uh, you know, Grandpa and Huey and Riley, who um, may be in, who won't be in support of of Jay Z. I think 
you have to do it in two parts because there's so much to cover and there's a there it's just too deep to, to get in one episode to bring him into it right away. If you separate them and then you bring in Jay Z, then I think you can you can absolutely clown him. Um, because that the, the situation is just uh, ridiculous and, and I mean it's a, it's not it's not something that, that you know we take lightly. For me, I think I'd like to do I I have like Riley and Huey have kind of opposing views in the episode, but uh, I'd have Huey be on Jay-Z's side trying to, like, coach Jay-Z and tell Jay-Z what to do with the partnership and be very serious about it. And then I've had Huey on, like, who Roger Goodell would just, like, pay him and say, oh, here's, like, a bunch of money, and and now you're part of the NFL. And I feel like that'd be a really funny contrast because you have the brothers going at each other on two different sides of it, and then you also have, like, Jay-Z and Roger Goodell, not that they're at odds, but you know, kind of coming at it from two different angles. Do you guys think that, that there should be new characters? Um, I, I think that there should be new characters, but, I mean, I think that, like, the core crew shouldn't change. So I still feel that Riley, Huey, Grandpa, Uncle Ruckus should all be there in the same. But then maybe we change, like, like Tom, the, the neighbor, gets switched out for somebody new, a different family and kind of get, like, a different, more modern aspect of, like, the the black American family today, and then schoolmates and friends sort of thing. But I, I think the core cast should stay the same, and then have, like, a lot of the supporting characters be different, and, like, some of the beasts be different. Yeah, I agree. I think that, um, that you have to bring in some new ones, because... Uh, you know, doing the same thing for a long time is great, but eventually you have to bring in somebody new who, who brings in a new flavor uh, to the show. So if you, even even a gay character, I think that that would be would be great, and it would reflect today's society. Um, someone in the LGBTQ community, absolutely, I think that would be great for for Riley and Huey to have to learn and, and interact with this person. Maybe not on an episode to episode basis, but have them reoccurring, similar to how Uncle Ruckus comes around and. In episodes like that, I think that would be great. But we're going to leave the conversation there and take a short break. We'll be right back. Stay tuned. The last thing we want to touch on before getting out of here is Apple. They revealed their new iPhone amongst other accessories like the Apple Watch. I feel like it came and went and that it wasn't as big of a deal as it's been in previous years. How do you all feel about their fall conference? I feel like, well, one, they, they dropped down the price. So they still they have two phones that are releasing, the Pro and the regular and the Pro is still at the $1,000 price point, but the regular phone is, I think, at like $600, or it's even less if you trade in your old iPhone. Um, I don't think it was, it definitely wasn't as big as last year's, because that was like the big iPhone 10, and they like skipped over two iPhones, so everybody was like really freaking out. Um, so I definitely don't think that their fall conference this year was as big, but I, I feel it was on par with like um, other releases. So I feel it was just, you know, the next um, step in their line of phone. But um, I absolutely agree with you that, like, they, they really get you with the accessories. And it's very nice to have Apple Watch. And, you know, you have your iPad, you got the earbuds, you got your iPhone. Everything just starts starting to flow after a while. So they definitely suck you in with some of those things. But in regards to the iPhone, uh, I think they did a good job of uh, cutting it down to a more reasonable price uh, this time around. What do you think? It's too expensive. <laughs> I'm still trying. I'm still trying to figure out <laughs> the iPhone four. No, no, no. 
you know, I do have iPhone. I think the last one do I have in iPhone eight, I think. What I don't like is that, you know, they make you now buy, you know, for your earbuds, you, you, you buy a whole nother type of attachment. Typically Apple just making you buy stuff. But, um, yeah, I guess eventually I'll probably get it like next year. But, you know, I'm, I'm an Apple person, so, you know. Understood. Yeah, that, that alludes to what I wanted to go to next, which is basically the iPhone versus its accessories. Apple has created this basically universe where, you know, they have all these different accessories that automatically pair with your device, and it makes it very easy. Once you open your AirPods, it pairs. Once you open your Beats, it pairs. Once you open your MacBook, you know, it pairs. All these different things that, that make, you, make your devices uh, connectable. Uh, so are you guys excited more about the iPhone itself, or is it about your devices that you can pair your, your iPhone with? For me, it's a little bit of both. I mean, I definitely like the iPhone, but I also like the accessories. I think I'd say I'd like the iPhone more just because it's really unrivaled when it comes to other smartphones. I've, I mean, I'm not to say I've tried for any sort of length other smartphones, but I, I've had an iPhone for just about, well, since iPhone 4, I've been a pretty, pretty consistent customer. Um, but, I mean, as, as a customer for like the past 10 years and always getting Apple accessories as they come, it, it makes sense. So at this point, I feel like they almost go one and one. But, I mean, I, I'd say I'd, I'd lean towards more the iPhone just because it's, it's, it's the best smartphone out there. Bill, are you, you, you sound like you're not pro accessories. You just want the phone and that's it. Well, you I mean, have earbuds? Um, I do have earbuds. I mean, I do like the connectivity. You know, oh, wow. I do like how it, um, you know, because I've got a MacBook and a MacBook Pro. And also, you know, I use uh, the, the uh, smart speakers. And so I like, you know, the easier stuff is for me, the better. Uh, the more intuitive, uh, you know, the better. So I, I like that part. It seems like Apple does a good job of, you, you know, making it easy. To pair stuff, you know, so I do. I do like that. I have not got the Apple, the, the iPhone, but I think after this telecast, after this broadcast, I'll go out and get one. Uh, Nate, what do you want to see from Apple? I'm, I'm, you know, I think one of their biggest critiques has been like, you know, there's no innovation. All they do is make the camera good. They don't uh, actually improve the phone. Um, so, what do you want to see? Uh, Phone-wise, I mean, I love better battery life because they always brag that like. Um, their their battery life is going up five hours within with the next drop of the new phone or new battery life, but I, I always feel like it dies the exact same amount of time. Um, and also, there's always the conspiracy of Apple kind of secretly like sending out a bug signal when the new iPhone goes out that your your old iPhone will start to short circuit. And so I just kind of wish the longevity of the phone stayed stayed the same because I feel like if you I, I have a six and, and right now it's going through a couple of hardships with how fast it's running, dropping calls, just that and the other. And so, you know, now I, I just really wish um, if Apple is up to anything, they'd stop the shenanigans. Well, good luck with that. And, you know, the whole thing, and this is not Apple, but <laughs> the whole thing of the, your, your smart speakers listening, spying on you. In fact, this is morning. Yeah. I asked my, I, I said, you know, could you say, Alexa? I said, Alexa, are you spying on me? And it said, no, we're not spying on you. If you want more details, go to Apple. I mean, go to uh, Alexa. I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> what? <laughs> no, I'm not spying on you. I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> Goodness. At least she's honest. <laughs> yeah, she's honest. <laughs> yeah, I would love to. 
I would love to hear that. Love to hear it. Mm. Um, so our, our producer, Aaron, is actually Team Android. Uh, so shout out to Aaron. But, um, yeah, she's been repping that since we had the group message, <laughs> and all of our messages are green simply because of Aaron. Uh, with that being said, is there anything that can lure you away from Apple to competitors like Samsung and Google? I mean, at this point now. I mean, at this point, I'm too far <laughs> down the rabbit hole. I've had I've had a, I've had my iPhone since the iPhone like three, and I mean everything I have now. I have the Mac. I have the earbuds. I have I have everything that goes with it. I mean, it has to be a next world phone. It has to be something really that like shook me out of my boots for me to hop off the bandwagon. But at this point, I'm I'm too my phone for life. Yeah, I want to get a window surface. Uh, was, but I tell you that I, I like the idea that it attaches and that kind of stuff, and I like the touch screen. But it has the, the word program drives me nuts because I'll be typing a story or something on it, and it'll then eat an entire paragraph. You know, and how you've been working on a story and you're almost finished or you're in the middle and you've done your revisions and then you'll hit a button and it like eats up two paragraphs. And I've literally been somewhere, I've almost thrown it out the window. almost. And I've told us that I hate you. I hate you. You know, so when your machine has you talking to it. <laughs> and the Apple, I find the iMac and the Mac, but, you know, it seems to be very, it doesn't do that kind of stuff. So Yeah, I was just going to say, it's the thing The thing that makes it great is also the thing that makes it, uh, makes the biggest critique. It's that it's this simple. Right. Um, you know, it's easy to use. And at this point, I feel like they have a formula and they're more focused on how can we bring different things to connect with our phone because eventually, you know, this was going to come where it's like, okay, life after the iPhone with the AirPods, with the, with the Apple Watch. Um, you know, there's rumors that they're developing overhead headphones, mm. uh, which would be interesting to see because, you know, they already have beats. So, you know, where would that go? Um, so that's all that. All that is great. But we're going to end the conversation there. Uh, before we close, we're introducing a new segment called Bravo, Not Bro, where basically we share the news we liked and disliked this week. Nate, kick us off. I'd like to give a bravo to all the students who led a worldwide strike calling for climate action today. My Nabro of the week goes to 85 environmental rollbacks from earlier this September that put a cap on public methane pollution and industrial factories. I, I'll give a Nabro, a big Nabro to Antonio Brown. You know, clown Antonio Brown. No, <laughs> brother. No, You didn't know you gave that last week. Oh, I did? Who, me? Well, yes. I said Nabro to Antonio Brown. Well, I'm being consistent. I was editing it, and you said uh, your your Bravo was the Antonio Brown, and your Nabro was the Antonio Brown. Oh, so now same thing. Well, now it's no, it's not no Bravo to Antonio Brown. It's it's maybe a a Bravo to the Patriots. You know, this is kind of a contradiction, but a, 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 forget the Bravo, just a Nabro to Antonio Brown. Just a, I'm doubling down. Just a Nabro to that Antonio Brown. And my bravo goes out to the crew of First Take for hosting their show at Delaware State University, bringing awareness and recognition to HBCUs for HBCU Week 2019. And my bravo goes out to the school, uh, in, to a school in Illinois. A student in Illinois was suspended for singing future lyrics in a hallway at school. A girl overheard him saying AK season with the book bag, and then she reported him, and he was suspended. Uh, definitely one of the worst things I've heard in a while. There are a lot of lyrics out there. 
And uh, that's not something you should be suspended for, especially since his book bag was empty and it's just a song. But that's all we have time for today. If there's anything you'd like us to cover or if you just want to leave us a comment, tweet at us at the undefeated hashtag Rodenfellows. You can also contact us directly. I'm on Twitter at Randa Williams. That's R-A-N-D-A-I-L-W-I-L-L-I-A-M-S. And I'm on Twitter as well at N-A-T-E-A-S-I-N-G-T-O-N. And I'm at Twitter. Yes, I am on Twitter at W.C. Roden. That's W-C-R-H-O-D-E-N. Thanks for listening to the Roden Fellows Podcast. This show is produced by Aaron Matthewson. Special thanks to Tarika Foster-Brasby and the ESPN Digital Audio Content Team. I'm Randall Williams, and I've been your host. Get all the HBCU 468 podcasts as well as The Right Time with Bomani Jones and Morning Roast by subscribing to The Undefeated on the Listen tab of the ESPN app. Join us next week for another HBCU podcast, and don't forget to make The Undefeated your go-to site for a soulful look at sports and entertainment. Have a great week, everyone.